welcome to National Parks Traveler, where we explore the national parks and the issues that involve them. Federal wildlife officials this past week announced that 22 animals and one plant should be declared extinct and removed from the endangered species list. Though searched for and sought after for many, many years, many of these species, some experts say, were probably already extinct or extremely close to extinction when the Endangered Species Act was passed back in 1973. And though it's too late to save the 11 birds, eight freshwater mussels, two fish, and one bat now classified as extinct, much work is being done to save other species on the very brink, including the Florida panther. This is Kurt Repencheck, your host at National Parks Traveler. Key to the survival of the panther and many other threatened species is the designation of wildlife corridors. This week, the traveler's Lynn Riddick talks to Tori Linder of the Path of the Panther Project. That organization's work has contributed to widespread efforts that have formalized the Florida Wildlife Corridor, a large and growing mosaic of protected forests and timberlands, swamps, pastures, and orchards that provide the green spaces that animals need to thrive. Washington State is graced with three spectacular national parks, each different and special in their own unique ways. As the official nonprofit partner and the only philanthropic organization dedicated exclusively to supporting these parks through charitable contributions, Washington's National Park Fund has a mission to raise private support to deepen everyone's love for, understanding of, and experiences in Mount Rainier, North Cascades, and Olympic National Parks. Share your passion for these parks at WNPF.org. Whether it be strategy, business planning, change management, board development, executive search, or diversity planning, Potrero Group is here to help. They mix a depth of experience in the parks and land space with a breadth of best practices from other industries. For more information or to schedule a preliminary conversation, go to PotreroGroup.com. That's P-O-T. R-E-R-O group.com. Acadia National Park is one of the 10 most popular national parks in the United States. It is also one of the smallest and most vulnerable. That's why Friends of Acadia exists. Friends of Acadia is an independent organization of passionate people inspiring those who love this magnificent park to make a real and lasting difference for Acadia. You can make a difference too at friendsofacadia.org. The North Cascades Institute has a large portfolio. It is an environmental learning center, training center, conference center, and leadership center, all set in the splendor of the North Cascades National Park Complex. Learn more at ncascades.org. Today we're talking all things Florida Wildlife Corridor and the Florida Panther. And my guest is Tori Linder. Tori is Managing Director of the Path of the Panther Project, which works in partnership with the Florida Wildlife Corridor Coalition. She's joining us from her home in Miami, Florida. Hi, Tori, welcome to The Traveler. Hello, thank you so much for having me today. Well, let's start with some general information about the Florida Wildlife Corridor. Can you describe the different parcels of land and water that currently make up the corridor? 
Absolutely. So the Florida Wildlife Corridor connects critical wildlife habitat for 42 federally listed endangered species and 24 threatened species, from the Everglades in the south to the Georgia and Alabama borders. It also provides vital freshwater resources for the over 21 million residents of Florida. What's fascinating about the Florida Wildlife Corridor is that it encompasses 17.9 million acres, but it's really, it's a mosaic of lands, working lands primarily. There are 3.6 million acres of ranch lands, 5.3 million acres of timberland within the corridor serving as habitat and connection for our wildlife. So has the corridor been mostly a concept until the passage of Florida's Wildlife Corridor Act just a few months ago, and now is it an official entity? That's a great question. Landscape connectivity has been prioritized in Florida over the past few decades, thanks to the hard work of Dr. Tom Hochter at the University of Florida and many others. Historically, uh, this work has really been, been identified under the Florida Ecological Greenways Network. With the passage of the Florida Wildlife Corridor Act this spring, we saw the geography formally recognized at a state level, which really brought together the, the hard work of landowners, conservationists, um, and activists across the state over the last decade. So why is identifying and mapping out a corridor so important for the state of Florida? That's a great question. Here in Florida, we are losing anywhere from 12 to 20 acres an hour to development, depending on the, on the year. We're gaining 1,000 residents a day. And with that, we are quickly losing many of our last wild places and the connections that they provide to our current protected public lands, 10.1 million acres of lands within the Florida Wildlife Corridor have already been protected, which is a remarkable legacy of conservation. Formally, naming and recognizing this geography provides um, incentive for our Department of Environmental Protection to encourage and promote areas that enhance the Florida Wildlife Corridor. So the Wildlife Corridor Act, which just passed in June, provides funding to acquire more lands for conservation, and it also brings private landowners into the mix. Can you tell us a little bit more about what the Act does? Sure. So the Florida Wildlife Corridor really encourages our state agencies to prioritize the corridor as they are both planning legislation and infrastructure, as well as investments into the future. Additionally, the Florida House and Senate allocated $100 million generally to the Florida Forever Program this year and an additional $300 million to the Florida Forever Program specifically towards land protection within the Florida Wildlife Corridor. The Florida Forever Program is one of the nation's premier land conservation programs that has been remarkably successful over the last two decades. These funds will help create partnerships with private landowners to preserve critical habitats, timberlands, farms, and ranches throughout the state. I will also note the Florida Forever Program is a willing seller program, providing landowners the choice to conserve their environmentally sensitive land and gift the benefits of the land to all Floridians. 
Does the act incentivize the private landowners at all into, you know, setting aside their land for conservation? Yes. So through a variety of mechanisms, the Florida Forever program really allows uh, working lands to to remain working while providing green infrastructure that's vital for for our wildlife, but also we as Floridians. One mechanism, the conservation easement, um, essentially allows the state to acquire the development rights of a property while allowing it to maintain its status as a timberland or, or in some cases, a working cattle ranch. The new law specifies how lands and waters must qualify to be part of the corridor. Can you run through how that works? Absolutely. The Florida Wildlife Corridor is comprised of the Florida Ecological Greenways Network, layers one through three. These priorities are defined by Dr. Tom Hochter and and his team at the University of Florida um, and have a a wide variety of criteria from suitable habitat range for endangered species like the Florida panther to floodplain or, or geography within a watershed. Describe the process of bringing private landowners into the corridor and are they generally supportive? I think one of the most encouraging pieces about the Florida Wildlife Corridor to me is that we see really a lot of unlikely conservation heroes. The citrus grove owners, the foresters, the cattlemen um, who comprise the working landscape of of Florida and, and in no small part drive our economy are also incredibly enthusiastic about protecting these wild spaces, these last green lands that our state has. In many ways, development is a common threat for a cattle rancher just as much as it is the Florida panther. Um, we've been really encouraged to see that a robust list of willing sellers for both conservation easements and, and fee simple acquisitions within the Florida Wildlife Corridor. Now it's up to us to ensure that Programs such as Roland Family Land and Florida Forever have the funding they need so that those landowners can seek opportunity to permanently protect their lands. Did you find it encouraging that the bill was passed unanimously? What does that say about the effort and the public's growing awareness of the need for wildlife corridors? I found it remarkably encouraging, and I think it says so much about Floridians. You know, we are connected to our natural environment, no matter what corner of this state you call home. And in some facet or another, we've likely all seen the negative impacts tied to to water and land development in our state. Floridians, time and time again, vote for nature. And it's so encouraging to see our policymakers following suit and really fundamentally protecting what keeps Florida, Florida. The Florida Wildlife Corridor to me is is such an incredible demonstration of the power of, of teams and communities working together. I like to say that this was an overnight success, a decade in the making, but it, it truly was. It came as the result of storytellers and explorers and conservationists um, researchers and working landowners working 
together towards a common goal, a common vision. And I find so much hope in that for the future of, of conservation around the globe. Now, Forever Florida has already identified 95 parcels for the corridor. Can you give us some examples of these? Just last week, the Florida governor and cabinet approved funding for the permanent conservation of nearly 20,000 acres in the Florida Wildlife Corridor through the Florida Forever and Rural and Family Land Program. A few pieces that were protected that I found remarkably encouraging um, included Cow Creek Ranch, Devil's Garden, which provided vital habitat for the Florida panther, Corrigan Ranch, which is home to North America's most endangered bird, the grasshopper sparrow, as well as some really sensitive habitats in our coastal headwaters and longleaf. I'm Lynn Riddick, and I'm speaking with Tori Linder of Path of the Panther, and we'll continue our talk right after this short message. Western National Parks Association is a nonprofit education partner of the National Park Service. WNPA supports parks across the West, developing products, services, and programs that enhance the visitor experience, understanding, and appreciation of national parks. Learn more at WNPA.org. The Blue Ridge Parkway Foundation is the primary nonprofit fundraising partner for the Blue Ridge Parkway. It is made up of people who have a deep love for this majestic road and want to ensure that its natural beauty and the experiences it offers endure for generations to come. Show your appreciation at brpfoundation.org. Nova Scotia, 8,000 miles of coastline dotted with colorful fishing villages, quaint coastal towns, and an abundance of scenic natural beauty. Home to two national parks, Cape Breton Highlands and Kajimakujik. Spend your nights under a canopy of twinkling stars. Spend your days exploring trails, beaches, historical waterways, and tons of cultural and recreational experiences. Visit NovaScotia.com today to start planning your natural getaway. The Grand Teton National Park Foundation is a private, nonprofit organization that supports projects that protect and enhance Grand Teton National Park's cultural, historic, and natural resources. By funding initiatives that go beyond what the National Park Service could accomplish on its own, Foundation donors improve the visitor experience and provide benefits to the National Park System for decades to come. See their successes at gtnpf.org. The Yosemite Conservancy helps visitors connect with Yosemite through adventures, volunteering, and the arts. It's the only nonprofit dedicated to supporting Yosemite National Park and funds grants to improve trails restore habitat, protect wildlife, and inspire the next generation of nature lovers. Learn more at yosemite.org. Do you love one-click shopping? With our partner, Interior Federal Credit Union, you can earn rewards just by making online purchases. You're missing out on rewards if you're not using their Visa credit and or debit card. By adding these cards to your online shopping cart with Amazon, Walmart, or other shopping retailers, you can earn a point for every dollar you spend. Binge watching a lot with streaming services like Netflix or Hulu? Use their card for recurring payments to earn points as well. Visit their website, interiorfcu.org, and read their blog for more details about how to apply. 
This is Lynn Riddick, and I'm back now with Tori Linder of the Path of the Panther Project. Tori, let's talk more about wildlife in Florida. There are a number of threatened and endangered species in the state. You mentioned the panther, the Florida grasshopper sparrow. Um, what other animals are on that list that might benefit from an expanded corridor? The Florida Wildlife Corridor provides habitat for 42 federally listed endangered species and 24 threatened species. Many of those are, are iconic, familiar names to us, such as the Florida manatee, um, the Florida black bear, or the swallowtail kite. Um, I find quite a bit of encouragement in the story of the Florida black bear and its recovery across our state. This movement to identify and formally recognize the Florida Wildlife Corridor geography actually came off of um, the works that, that some researchers at Archibald Biological Station were doing following the movements of black bear in central Florida. And what they found um, collaring one bear just over a decade ago was that this individual, this male, he went on a 500-mile walkabout trying to find a safe passage across I-4, which really marks that center barrier in our state for landscape connectivity right at the, the headwaters of the Florida Everglades. And that articulated for the first time reviewing those data points what we already knew, that we needed to protect this green network of lands across our state. And if I may just add, you know, Florida is is full of so many incredible conservation success stories. You look at species like the Florida alligator that were almost lost that are thriving today. That gives me so much encouragement uh, that that if we do protect this network of lands, we can see continued recovery from many other species. Would you say the biggest concern is the survival of the Florida panther at this point? And, you know, would you say that habitat fragmentation is the greatest cause of decline? I would say that habitat fragmentation will decide the future of the Florida panther. Um, obviously, Florida panther is the last big cat surviving in the eastern United States. It's our state animal of Florida, and it once roamed the entire southeastern United States. Today, it occupies less than 5% of its historic range, and that's, that's due to habitat loss, prey declines, and, and attempts to eradicate panthers in the early 1900s. The survival of the Florida panther depends on the protection of the Florida Wildlife Corridor. Um, it also depends on or has historically depended on the remarkably successful conservation efforts um, of, of researchers and scientists at FWC. Yeah, I was really alarmed to learn that in the 1970s, there were only 30 panthers remaining in Florida. And though the numbers have improved, it's still pretty alarming to realize that there are only 200 panthers left in the entire state of Florida. So your thoughts about that? Yes. Well, I I have to admit, I find a remarkable amount of hope in the story of the Florida panther. This fact that we are seeing a recovery and a big cat in a time when big cats across the globe are in decline is absolutely incredible. But that does not diminish the 
threats they're facing today. You know, the leading cause of death of the Florida Panther is vehicle collision, um, followed by territorial dispute and interspecies conflict, which is a result of a lack of, of habitat and connectivity. Um, and, and we're also seeing a, a rise of disease issues within the Florida Panther as well. Um, so while they're making this remarkable, remarkable comeback, and, and they are doing so in the face of incredible development as an exceptionally resilient species, uh, we, we do have to be constantly reminded of their fragility. What's an ideal population for panthers in the state? Yes. So as you mentioned, according to FWC, we have just over 200 adult panthers to date. Um, They are primarily limited to a single breeding range in southwest Florida. In 2016, we really got the greatest piece of hope since the 1970s for the recovery of the species when evidence was found um, of a a Florida female panther north of the Caloosahatchee River marking expansion into a northern breeding range. Then in 2017 um, came proof that that she had actually had cubs, which was captured on on a Path of the Panther camera trap on Bagpacock Ranch Preserve. That was a very encouraging moment, yet we are just at the very early stages of this development of a second breeding range. And in truth, we need three breeding ranges across the state to ensure that that they have the genetic diversity necessary to continue their recovery. I will also note, though, I am a, a dedicated conservationist and, and activist at times on behalf of the Florida Panther. I am not a researcher or scientist, uh, so I defer to my colleagues at the Florida Fish and Wildlife Commission for the most up-to-date information on that end. Tell us a little bit more about your organization, Path of the Panther. What what do you do? Sure. So with the support of the National Geographic Society, our team at Path of the Panther has been working to tell the story of the Florida Panther and the land it needs to survive the Florida Wildlife Corridor for the past four years. Uh, because the Florida panther is is one of the most elusive big cats on planet Earth, our team couldn't simply go out into um, the swamps or forest or, or grasslands of our state with a camera as you traditionally would to to capture a lion or leopard, perhaps. Instead, we had to set up remote camera trap systems and essentially allow. Uh, the Florida Panther to take its own picture uh, with professional camera trap studios in the woods. And that has been um, a no doubt challenging and tedious experience for for my colleague, Carlton Ward Jr., who's a National Geographic photographer, as well as Lauren Yoho and Malia Burtis, who've, who've led our field effort. But it has brought forth some pretty remarkable results. In April of 2020, we were in 2020, we were able to share with the world um, many of, of these images, this firsthand glimpse into the world of the Florida Panther and the flooded forest of, of South Florida in National Geographic magazine. 
Um, we have a whole host of, of other communications coming over the next year, including a book and feature documentary. The Florida Panther and its recovery is our primary focus. Um, we also work to tell the story of, of the people of the landscape um, the Florida Panther calls home. So the, the working landowners, the conservationists, the scientists, the researchers. We created a film last year with National Geographic called Saving the Florida Wildlife Corridor that really hones in um, on the voices of this landscape. Typically, how many cameras do you have out in the wild at once trying to capture the images of the panthers? That is a great question, as we had quite the debate about it this morning. Um, at present, we have about three dozen camera trap systems across the greater Everglades ecosystem. And so it's really actually pretty rare to get an image, even with that many cameras out there. Is that correct? It's remarkably rare. And when you um, add in other factors, such as weather or you know, perhaps a, a curious bear who's decided to knock over a camera trap system um, or just simply put the wrong lighting, uh, it, you realize how difficult it is to get a National Geographic worthy image of, of one of these panthers that can really tell the whole story. I have such respect for our team and their hard work and dedication to this cause for that reason. Now, in a recent podcast, I talked extensively with Beth Pratt, who's with the National Wildlife Federation and the Save LA Cougars campaign. And she's leading the effort to save mountain lions in Southern California and the Santa Monica Mountains National Recreation uh, Area. And the campaign is raising tens of millions of dollars to build what will be the largest animal crossing in the world and will primarily reconnect a fractured habitat of mountain lions there, which are threatened greatly in that part of the country as well. And Beth says that their success uh, in large part is due to the pictures and stories they tell. And that's much more effective um, at shedding light on the issues than facts and figures. So two questions for you. What stories does your coalition like to tell? And do you know, Beth, have you shared ideas? Uh, it's a great question. I, I am a huge fan of Beth's work and, and all that's being done in California to, to raise awareness, not just about the, the plight of mountain lions um, there locally, but really the issues of connectivity around the globe. They've done such an incredible job. And I will add one of my mentors and dear friends um, at National Geographic, Steve Winter, was, was actually the photographer behind those iconic images of, of P-22 uh, moving behind the Hollywood sign. And Steve has really been an incredible advisor to the Path of the Panther Project and helped us get where we are today. So kudos to them. I've yet to have the pleasure of, of meeting Beth, but I, I look forward to connecting in the near future. And in regard to the stories that that our team and our partners like to tell, I think we, you know, we really enjoy honing in on three areas. One is is wildlife. Uh, the second is is people telling the story um, 
the voices of this landscape, those who, who call it home and, and work day in and day out to protect it. And third, really from a point of exploration, our colleagues at the Florida Wildlife Corridor Coalition have now produced, I believe, four films covering expeditions across different portions of the Florida Wildlife Corridor. Um, This initially began with a thousand mile expedition from Everglades National Park up to the Georgia and Alabama borders, featuring Carlton Ward, Junior Mallory Demet and Joe Guthrie. Um, and then most recently, they actually just sent three uh, high school students on an expedition um, in the Denalen area exploring Florida's springs and their connection to the Gulf of Mexico. Yeah, I saw the piece, um, the 1,000-mile journey. That was just incredible. The photography is just amazing. And uh, in fact, I sent the link to my brother who just relocated to uh, Fort Myers, Florida, because I want him to fully understand what he has down in that state. It's just beautiful. Well, I am so encouraged to hear that. And yes, absolutely. I think that is um, something we view as a primary responsibility is, is educating our new arrivals to Florida, calling Miami home myself. I'm always tickled to hear how many people respond with, we have panthers in Florida or we have black bears in Florida when I say what I do. So tell me a little bit about how you think this big wildlife corridor act might impact animal corridors in other parts of the country. Uh, I know they are becoming more and more of a thing. We're seeing more and more um, corridors being talked about, enacted, and and, uh, things are happening. Yes, I've been so encouraged to see the incredible work going on around landscape connectivity across the country. You mentioned the great work currently underway in Southern California. Uh, I've heard I've heard wonderful stories out of out of Texas or uh, the Wildlife Crossing just built in Salt Lake City. Hopefully, some of the listeners have seen those viral videos um, of of elk and other species um, crossing highways there. Um, The bipartisan passage of the Florida Wildlife Corridor Act really presents a model for sustainability nationally, one in which people and nature can thrive together. Senate Bill 976 encourages support, incentives, and funding of the Florida Wildlife Corridor to preserve and protect our green infrastructure and wildlife habitat. New Hampshire, New Mexico, Oregon, Virginia, and I believe recently also Wyoming have passed wildlife corridor legislation and resolutions. Colorado and Pennsylvania, I know, have pieces in the work. I hope that Florida continues to really lead the way uh, and inspire other states to follow suit. Tori, thank you for your time today, and we will watch what happens with the corridor and the panther, of course, and we wish you and your organization much success. Thank you, Lynn. People can follow us on Instagram at Path of the Panther. Uh, they can also follow our colleagues at the Florida Wildlife Corridor Coalition at FL underscore Wild Corridor. To hear more about wildlife corridors and the plight of panthers, 
I invite you to download my two-part podcast with Beth Pratt of the National Wildlife Federation. Scroll down to find episodes 126 and 127 on the Traveler's website. To learn more about wildlife corridors and the plight of black bear and elk in Great Smoky Mountains National Park, check out episode 109. For The Traveler, this is Lynn Riddick. That's our show for this week. Thanks for listening. Your interest in learning more about national parks and protected areas and issues that swirl about them has placed our weekly podcasts among the top 2% of the world's roughly 2.6 million active podcasts, and we thank you for that. With your help, we can move even higher and inform more people about national parks, their wondrous landscapes and history, and the issues they face. In November and December, The Traveler will be participating in the nationwide news-matched fundraising campaign for nonprofit media organizations, and we hope that we can count on your support. For The Traveler, this is Kurt Rappencheck. See you in the parks. The composers and musicians at Orange Tree Productions have created a unique collection known as the National Park Series that has grown to include more than 30 CD titles. Composed against the backdrop of a park's sounds of nature, these musical scores will connect you with these beautiful places and take you there, at least in your mind. This collection is the number one selling National Park audio series in the world and provides the background music for National Parks Travelers podcasts. Visit them at orangetreeproductions.com. Editing and production work for the National Parks Traveler podcast is done by Splitbeard Productions. You can learn more about us at splitbeardproductions.com. National Parks Traveler is a 501c3 nonprofit media organization that provides daily editorial coverage of national parks and protected areas. Traveler's coverage is made possible by reader and listener donations. Visit us at nationalparkstraveler.org.